0: You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Whithelm. My co-host is Katie Vernoy. And as always, thank you for joining us. If you wouldn't mind hopping over to wherever you listen to your podcasts and leave us a little review, give us some feedback about how we're doing. It really helps us out. Today we are joined by Melvin Varghese. You might know him from the very popular Selling the Couch podcast. Uh, Today's probably the most ambitious crossover episode in all of therapist podcasting ever. So (laughs) we're super excited to have Melvin here. Thank you for being here.
1: Um, I'm so grateful, um, to be with you guys looking for our conversation. Yes. This might be the most ambitious <laughs> <crossover> in <laughs> private practice podcasting. I don't even know the phrase. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, I'm super happy to have you here, Melvin. Cause I, uh, I've loved interacting with you. I was on your podcast a while back talking about my whole sacrificial helping thing. And so it's nice to be able to have you join us here. Cause you have done so much for our community and amazing course to teach people how to do podcasting. You're starting a directory. You've got all of this stuff going on. So I will let you announce it (laughs) versus just gushing over here. So tell us who you are and what you're putting out in the world.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, my name is Melvin Bergy. I'm a licensed psychologist. Uh, I live here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I never imagined living in the Northeast. I actually grew up in Texas. Well, I was born in India, but grew up in Texas the majority of my life. And so, we, uh, we, my wife and I, we got married, and uh, we decided to settle here in the Northeast. So, I um, in back in 2015, I started selling the couch, and it was basically. Conversations. I was part of a group practice, and I would meet with two of my colleagues, and we would have these monthly meetings where we were trying to figure out how in the world you start a private practice, what's working. And I had a random light bulb moment where I said, maybe people would really benefit from this if we turned this into a <laughs> podcast. And uh, and uh, yeah, since then I've been recording episodes and and learning. And uh, one of the things that we've I think more recently have been emphasizing or trying to talk more about is what does private practice look like not just within therapy room but outside of the therapy room so can you build courses can you do speaking i feel like i had an old supervisor that that told me always have your hand in multiple pots when it comes to income streams and so i feel like part of our the need opportunity we have as clinicians is we get to do that so and uh as katie alluded to i i started a community for helpers and healers who podcast called Healthcasters back in 2015. And then recently about a year ago, just with all these podcast conversations, I think that uh, one of the struggles was that it's really hard for us to connect with one another and build authentic relationships. Um, Those relationships are so important for referrals. And so I decided to create a directory. It's a directory like Psychology Today, but different in that it's actually focused on the clinician and private practice and it's meant just for us to be able to connect with each other and support one another.
0: That's great and Melvin was I I, I guess we could call it responsible for leading us into all of the ability to create our podcast so assign Melvin the right amount of credit or blame on (laughs) where, where he has led this. But it sounds like your origin story is very much like ours as far as how we came together, of really having a lot of the same conversations, feeling that the message is a lot bigger. Tell us about some of the projects you're working on now because you are kind of taking over the world as far as being the go to person for therapists in kind of this business aspect. So
1: it's it's been interesting and I am definitely like happy to share. Um my life has definitely shifted a lot here in the last six months or so because uh we welcomed our daughter into the world. Um she came Woo-hoo! yeah. She she came to us seven weeks early. So that's been an interesting transition. Um of being both a business owner and now being a daddy. But I think in terms of like the two big projects, and we can definitely talk more about this because this was a, a lesson that I've learned along the way. But So now what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to just focus on one max two things at one time instead of trying to do five different things at one time and trying to push every one of those things forward. And so right now, um, my big project right now is the STC directory because I feel like there's such a need for that. and. I know that many of us are very isolated in the world of private practice and have a lot of fears and trying to do what I can for our field.
2: I think the big thing that I've taken from our conversations, the stuff that I've seen within the Healthcasters community and the STC community, is that you've really kind of master this idea of creating alternative revenue streams for when life happens. You know, you'll, you can tell the story better, but, you know, that you had initially even thought about creating the podcast and the Healthcasters course because of horrible storms, and you were thinking, like, I, my income is totally lost because of, you know, not being able to get to my office. And then you were able to very gracefully step away from your practice, from, you know, Healthcasters, from everything. Everything remained automated and running when you had your daughter early. So mm-hmm. talk a little bit about how you identify kind of the alternative revenue streams, the things that you, you know, how you've developed them and how you make sure that they can keep you with some, some solid income, even when life happens. Cause I think that's such a critical thing for therapists. Cause we so often it's like hour for hour button seat mm-hmm. is, is when we can get paid. And I think that really leaves us very vulnerable to these types of things like, you know, a preemie, <laughs> storms, <laughs> you know, just whatever, you know.
1: Yeah. I mean, and to be honest, like Katie, like I I actually grew up with the mentality that I had to work, like trade time to create income. So even before I even started thinking about this alternative, I think it took a lot of work to really work through that mindset and and I don't even know if this is even the right word, but not not feel guilty that mm-hmm. I was generating income without physically being there, if that, that made sense. Um,
2: wow. That is so important. Tell me more.
1: Yeah. Um, I think I was just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the son of immigrants. My, my parents, uh, we immigrated to the U.S. in the late 80s. Uh, the, the major reason my parents came to this country is because they wanted to provide a better educational opportunity for my brother and I and they're just extremely hard workers my My dad was an attorney in India when he came to the u s um, His law degree didn't transfer over um he had to provide for his family so the first job he got was at Walmart working in the in the warehouse um overnight shifts and then I believe the second job he got was at the county hospital um changing like so bed linens. um and so I think I just My parents, like uh, my mom's a nurse, Um, she has worked night shifts for just ages. I remember just going through when we were in elementary school, just so that she could be there during the day for us. And so I'm so grateful for their sacrifice. But I think what I also learned from them was like, you really had to, there, maybe there wasn't other ways to, like, you really had to be there to generate that income, right? It's what I alluded to, you know, I had this very wise supervisor who told me, Melvin, you know, our field has a lot of potential um, in terms of like income and things. Because for me, actually, the the truth of it was uh, when I was in undergrad, I, I loved psychology and I actually was thinking about grad school in psychology. And I actually had a professor initially who kind of discouraged me from it because they said, because, you know, the person said, oh, you're not going to make enough money in mm-hmm. in in the field. So if that... Uh, why don't you go try something else? And so I think I had that fear. I had sort of what I saw with, with my parents, you know. Um, and when I came into it, I was like, okay, this is the only way. And so this I had this wise supervisor who said, you know, always have your hand in multiple pots when it came to income streams. And so I started looking at stuff. And even as I think about um, what like products and services I create, a lot of things, what I actually think about is, Initially, what I used to think about is, okay, is this is this product going to create income? And now what I actually think about is, is this product scalable that eventually I can actually step away and it sort of runs on autopilot?
2: That is such a cool, I guess it's a really cool lesson because I think a lot of people will start something because they think it's cool mm-hmm. <laughs> and won't think about whether or not it generates income. And I think there's also, like, will it be, you know, will it be viable? Is it something that's of interest? Is there a need? Right. But then the the idea of scalability and being able to automate it and step away, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about that. There's the, you know, kind of like, create your alternative revenue stream courses that will mm-hmm. kind of say that you can do it, you know, in five steps. and five days, you're going to have blah, blah, blah. And it's unrealistic. It's It's very, you know, cookie cutter. And it doesn't necessarily actually get people where they want. It's That course is the automated stream for the person that built it, not necessarily for the people who are taking it. And so, to really have this thoughtful process, that makes me very thoughtful. I just think that's very smart because I think a lot of people miss that second step of, is it scalable? Is it sustainable? Can I step away? That's the point of, you know, kind of, quote, unquote, passive income.
1: Yeah. And I mean, and to your point, Katie, like, I think one of the things that I've learned is there's no such thing truly as passive income, right? Everything, even if it you do create some sort of income channel, it requires some sort of maintenance, right? Either by you or by somebody else. Um, the scalability thing, I honestly, I hadn't always thought about that. But I think what I've realized is, and I've had things that, you know, haven't worked out and and those kind of things. But I realize every single service or product you launch um, the creative energy of that only lasts a certain amount of time. Right. And so you have to now figure out how to sustain that. And so that's often where I think a lot of, a lot of clinicians burn out. It's like, Oh my gosh, okay. Now I have this thing. How do I sustain it? Right. Or they come to realize like, Oh my gosh, I have to, you know, maybe it's a course or something, right? So now I have to launch this multiple times a year and to put the time and energy into these launches, you know? And so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, these are sort of things I think about. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say was I, I read this, uh, book and I can't, I, 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 I think it's called the Apple insider. Uh, but it was basically looking at sort of like the mindset of Steve jobs, um, which I just find very fascinating how he thinks about things. And uh, one of the stories they said in there was actually when the iPod first, I believe the iPod first came out, they actually had something like 300 or 400 other ideas. And then they had the iPod. And so what they had to do was they had to learn to say no to all of these other ones. So they could say yes to that one. And I think this is something I'm still working on, but I think it's such an important skill for us to have as clinicians just because you have an idea doesn't make it a good idea. Right. So we have to learn to distinguish between what's a good idea versus a, I wouldn't say bad idea, but sort of a long term sustainable idea.
0: I'm all over the place as far as what I'm about to ask. So I'm just going to even <laughs> preface it with that because, you know, I, I, I listen to Selling the Couch podcast. I, hear you, all of the guests that we've had and your podcast differs from ours and that a lot of ours is telling the stories of therapists and what they're working on at various stages. But ours really focuses a lot on the process. And we hear things of being open to opportunities and all of these episodes that I'm about to reference, we're going to link in our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com. But we we also hear from one of our good friends, Ben Caldwell, about the stagnating wages as far as therapists go. And I've heard you say several times already today of needing to have your hands in multiple income streams and being able to say no to certain projects. Can you walk us through a little bit about how you make those decisions so that you're maximizing what does seem to help you pay for your life and be able to kind of balance out some of those wages with kind of this long-term scalability sort of idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's such a good question, Kurt. Um, (laughs) I don't know that I've actually written this. That actually, it's so funny. I actually had a thought this morning where I should, I thought, I should write this down, what goes (laughs) in my head. Um, So one thing is for me, uh, when I started this business, I wanted to build a business around family instead of fitting family around a business. So that's sort of the the first sort of tier. So I look at family schedule and I look at sort of what, what my ideal schedule looks like with family. So for me, that means um, no nights and no weekends. Um, I used to do that. And especially now with the baby, I think it's just harder. Um, There's nothing wrong with it. It's just for me now, it doesn't really make sense, right? So so that's like one thing. Um, the, The second thing I think about is, so like with health casters, I'll use that as a practical example if that's helpful, right? Yes. So I started that as an online course. And what I said was, Okay, so I'm going to create a podcasting course for helpers and healers who podcast. Um, but I know that long term I don't want to be doing webinars and these launches of the course, right? So if I do this, is there a way to shift this online course into some sort of recurring payment model? Is that is that something that's viable? Right. So, and then so then I ask myself, okay, so What would that look like? What would make it recurring? Right. So, could you do online? Could you do like monthly coaching calls? Could you have an online community which is interactive every sort of day? Right. And so, what I did with Healthcasters is I kind of set an arbitrary number in my head. And I said, you know, the first 150 folks that come into Healthcasters, we're going to, they just pay the one time fee for the membership. I mean, uh, for the the course. And then after that, we're just going to transition that to a membership model. And the reason I did that is because the 150, um, we had a nice size already, right? So, there were already conversations going. And then um, we could shift it where then people that were coming in could still get value, right? But then the people that were already there, they weren't like, oh, my gosh, why are they only paying a monthly fee when I had to pay this, you know, lump sum? So I I sort of thought about that element too. Um, Kurt, I don't know if that fully answers the question, but I think the big things is I think a lot about family. I think a lot about balance and I think a lot about scalability. Um, I don't try to focus on more than one or two things at a time. I I just, part of it I think is energy and, and part of it is having launched several things now, I realize how much time and energy it takes to create and launch and sustain something. And often that comes at, time away from family and time and mental energy and so it's just for me i i i sort of balance with that and then to your point what i've realized is this is sort of a, a new realization um i think the pull that many of us have is that we just want to generate income and and once we reach a certain goal we want to go to the next goal and what i recently realized is um I wrote down sort of the income goal that I want to reach. And once I reach there, I'm going to basically say, you know, I think that's it, you know?
2: So you've got kind of an end goal.
1: Yeah. Financially.
2: This is what I've made it. And this is good enough, especially while my daughter's growing up, while I'm my life situation is, is this way. I like that. I I think I have a follow-up question to what you were saying before so you launched the Healthcasters, and I, apparently I'm an OG Healthcaster. you <laughs> are. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so, and it's a great community. And there's there's so much there, and it's very rich. There's there's support. There's a lot that happens in that in the Facebook group. The course is very helpful, and and so you switch now to a membership model. You've also now launched and kind of do periodic launches for the STC community. How did you decide you were re- ready to shift your focus and start launching the STC community? And tell us a little bit more about it too, because I think that the the way you're talking about it, it's it's kind of building for all private practice therapists, what you built for the health casters, but maybe that's just oversimplifying.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I, um, man, I think you're giving me a lot of credit for <laughs> to be honest. Uh, a lot of this has been a little bit like chaotic and, and trying to figure out, you know, just what works. So with health casters, um, one of the, like, I love reading and one of the things that I just kept reading in these business books, especially like the, the book, the one thing, that was like a game changer for me. And what that book alludes to is that the most successful entrepreneurs, even though it looks like they may have like 10 different products, what they're actually doing is focusing on one, Project at a time and making it viable before they move on to the next thing. So, with Healthcasters, I launched it in 2015, and basically 2015, 2016, 2017, and half of 2018, all I did was work on that, tweaking the course, tweaking the webinar presentation, tweaking um, the community, uh, what's the community going to look like. And then, even toward the end of I would say probably halfway to 2017, I started delegating things, and so literally what I do is um, like for example, with health casters, I write down all of the different things that I do, and then I make it, and then I, I put a check mark next to the something that can be delegated if I feel like somebody else could do that task at 80 percent of the quality that I do it. mm-hmm. So I heard that eighty percent quality um, in this leadership book that I read, uh, which I'm like twenty-one irrefutable laws of leadership, Um, and so that book says you know one of the first uh, hires that you need to make is like a competent virtual like an assistant, and so the way you figure out how to delegate is this eighty percent rule, and so that really spoke to me, and so I uh, that's what I I, I started doing, and so I worked all that, and then from twenty. Late 2017, all of 2018, I just focused on the STC directory, Um, but the Healthcasters was always running in the background. uh, But I had delegated a lot of that, right? And even with Healthcasters now, um, I I have distinct blocks of time. This is going to be really nerdy. Maybe I'll show you guys this at some point. (laughs) I actually have an Excel document that is broken down to the half hour, um, and it tells me exactly where I should be and what I should be doing. It doesn't always like flow cleanly, you know, especially with the, with the childhood, Um, (laughs) but I do blocks of time. So like even social media time, um, like I only, I'm on social media only 30 minutes a day. And so I'm not, because what I used to do was be on social media in the morning, wait for somebody to respond and then come back on, you know, and it was just distracting me too much. So what I do is I block that time and then I block time for like big projects.
0: So If the customer is always right, and and I understand in in business terms that that's actually where they're spending their money, not what they're claiming and yelling at at sellers. But if the customer is always right, how are you listening to your customers? How do you determine what they're asking for, what they're responding to, what they need? And especially being somebody who's at the the front edge of being kind of the theropreneur of you know, a business to business enterprise for therapists, like, how do you identify what these needs are in, in creating these spaces? So that way, they they make it onto your project list?
1: Great question. Uh, so I, I, I do a couple of different things. And and a lot of this has evolved over time. So the first thing I do is, um, on, on when people sign up for the email newsletter, I ask the first email I get, or um, they I send them, it's automated. And I say, you know, you know, I really do want to make this something that's going to be beneficial for our field, right? So, what are you struggling with right now? And so, what I have, um, and actually I'm actually going to be transitioning this to a Survey Monkey document because I think this could be even more efficient this way. So, link to a Survey Monkey document with this question, right? So then people answer that question, and then what I can actually do is then look at Survey Monkey and see trends in terms of what people are, mm-hmm. you know. SurveyMonkey has this really cool feature. Like, So if people say the same word, it makes it has like a visual representation. So it makes the word bigger. And so if a word lot of people... Are loud. Saying,
2: word cloud. <laughs> word
1: cloud. That's what it is.
2: <laughs> it's so cool. It, like, it, I had one where it was just a, a single word. I was like, okay, that's probably the trend. <laughs> yeah. So I, I
1: do that. Um, uh, I think one of the things... I, I look at online communities and I see the conversations that are happening there... And so, as much as I can, I I try to follow those trends. Um, Actually, surprisingly, one of the most effective ways has just been reaching out to people like randomly. Like, I'll send them an email and I'll be like, "Hey, uh, you know, this is really weird, but this really is me." (laughs) I can (laughs) get on like a thirty-minute chat because I kind of want to hear what you're, what's going on, and and you know, and that those conversations have been really helpful. So, what I usually do is I will. I ask them for permission, I say, you know, would it be okay if I record this? And then we make a transcript of that conversation. And then what I do is I go through and sort of highlight sort of the key struggles and pain points and stuff like that. And then what I'm generally looking for is is sort of big trends. So with Healthcasters, one thing I knew is that I, I launched the podcast, and then folks started reaching out to me being like, Melvin, what did you do? How did you launch this? And then I I generally knew that you know, I know that our field generally like struggles with technology and and sort of things. And so, I like technology and I like breaking it down. And so, I was like, maybe there's a need there. So, I did a little bit more research and I asked people, you know, hey, you know, would you, would this be helpful for you? And then I had beta testers for the course. So, I, that's a big thing I always do. I always have a beta like testers. Um, Those folks usually get like a really nice discount on stuff. So, Mm -hmm. But the whole point for me at that point is not to create income. It's actually to see if the product is viable and make the product the best it is. And then I, and then I kind of just go from there um, after the beta testing and then I'll, I'll um, scale it to sort of the next level, like a public launch and then go from there.
2: That is a very thoughtful and strategic process. And I don't know that most therapists do that. I, I, I know that, Kurt and I have tried to do some of that, but I don't know that we could have elucidated that what that well. <laughs> that that's what we had been trying to do. I think certainly with having social media, it is such a, a huge, you know, ground to search for pain points and trends and all of that stuff. But I like this idea that you're also kind of speaking to individuals who seem to have a finger on the pulse and and really analyzing those conversations. It feels very um, psychologist assessment <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yes. I, uh, I think there's so much data that we can gather from live conversations, you know,
2: for sure. For sure. I guess, and th- this is your, the project you're working on now. So we've been talking a lot about the health casters, which is a great course and has so much information and, and really, really helpful to get the practical steps. And then, a, a, a you know, a community that's very supportive, but with the STC community, I think you've you've barely touched what that is. And I think that's something that I'd really like to know more like your thought process behind what is it, what is it becoming? Uh, because I think that's something that a lot of folks are really looking at how do people get more clients and, and kind of, we've talked to other people who have directories, who have communities, and, and there's a lot of how do you get in front of the right client, mm-hmm. but you're talking about how do we connect as private practice clinicians. And I think that's just a very different way to think about it. So it's a explain a little bit more the business concept here, sir.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, again, like I, I got a lot of data from just these podcast conversations I was having, you know, one of the questions that I often ask ask clinicians, um, ask our colleagues is, you know, how are you getting clients? Like, how are you sustaining the practice, right? Because at the end of the day, that's, that's what folks want to know. And the and the answer that comes up over and over again is, you know, I have a great referral stream, especially with other colleagues um, who may not work in the the spaces and the niches that I'm interested in. Right. And so I was I took that idea and I was like, okay, so we have things like Facebook groups. I mean, you know, like, and and they seem to work, but there's still this disconnect of you know, maybe we'll type something, we get an answer, but how do we sort of more authentically connect, right? And mm-hmm. how do we, for example, like, how do we use technology? Let's say that, you know, I, I've i got, you know, I, somebody, a client reaches out to me and works, um you know, they're struggling with an eating disorder, that's not an area that I have a lot of specialty in, right? How would I cl- connect with another clinician that works with eating disorders, right? And so, Um, I just began to think about different things. And then I was like, oh, you know, what if we could really use like technology? So for example, like with the STC directory, one of the things that it's integrated with Google Maps. So you could actually run a filter and say, okay, I need to find every clinician that works with eating disorders. And so then it pops it up on a Google map of all the clinicians. And then if you hover and click their name, you get their office information, for example. Right. And so I felt like that was a lot more easier and efficient than um, trying to maybe post on a Facebook group and waiting yeah. for it.
0: I think one of the things as I teach, as I supervise, as I mentor people coming up in the profession is that they really resonate with stories of non-successes, of, mm-hmm. of things that haven't worked out. And it, <laughs> You've been so successful in so many areas. Can you tell us about anything that you tried that just didn't pan out or didn't work out and what you learned from that?
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I have definitely made my my fair share of mistakes because I don't know. I think um, I was just actually having another podcast conversation right before our conversation, and one of the things that we were talking about is just how much, like, how so many of us, including me, we have this fear to always, we have this desire to get it perfect, so we never actually get it started, right? Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things I've been really working hard at is just being okay with failure. Um, so, Kurt, to your question, this is a recent one. Last year, I tried to work. I So, I, I have days where I block out. So, my my thing was, okay, Mondays will be days I work on the STC directory. Fridays will be days I work on healthcasters. And that sounded like a great idea in the moment. It was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> because what was happening was I would be in the middle of something like on a Monday and then I couldn't get back to it till the following Monday. And then I would spend like time trying to review, try to catch up and remember what I was working on. Right. Cause I'd done a whole bunch of stuff between the Monday to Monday. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things I'm experimenting with this year, um, I'm curious to see if this will work. I think it should, but instead of doing the Monday, Friday, I decided just to do six months of working on one thing, six months working on the other.
2: So you're kind of letting things kind of put, I I always call it kind of this in the simmer pot in the back, like Mm -hmm. whatever you're not working on goes there unless it's on fire. Is that kind of what you're planning?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and Kurt, I think the reason I, I, I we're talking about like these failures, what was happening was like, I got like, really stressed out because I didn't know, I felt like all the time I was trying to balance something. Um, I got like super anxious, super depressed. And especially when the baby came, I was like, how am I gonna sustain this, you know? And so I just, I I realized, you know, um, I mean, having a child like completely changes your life and business. (laughs) And so I just realized like what I was doing was not sustainable. it was either going to take time away from her. It was gonna, it was definitely already taking a toll on my health. So I just couldn't trying to do the multiple projects at one time and trying to like carry the ball forward. I don't know. For me, it's very hard. And so what I just trying to give myself grace and understanding to say, well, it's okay to work on one thing at a time, because the perfectionist in me actually wants to try to do the two to three to four things, right? And I almost like take pride in that. Like even when you guys said it like at the very beginning and there was this part of me, like I was like kind of prideful about it where you said, man, you're doing all these things, but. The thing is, like, it's not really sustainable in the long term, you know? <laughs> it's really not, so.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you said that because, you know, Kurt and I have no idea what you're talking about. We aren't doing too much <laughs> at all. Um, and we're not perfectionistic either. No, no, not even a little. But the, the funniest part about that is I think you're one of the most humble people I know, Melvin, because you, you approach all of your projects with humility, with thoughtfulness, and I think that you are able to put yourself out front because you, you, know that what you, what you're doing is needed. I think that's, to me, that's how I see the research is, is okay. I've identified this is going to work. This is going to, this is going to help me and my family. This is all this stuff. Okay. So part of that is that I have to be up front and promote this thing, or I have to be in this persona, but there's never like, oh, I want to be in front of everybody. This is amazing. It's more, you know, in a humble way, I come forward with this service that I have to offer. And I think that's, and I think I said this on your podcast too. It's just like, I think to me, that's such a strong, wonderful brand. I don't know that you've thoughtfully done it, but it certainly is a, an amazing personal brand to kind of come forward and and be this humble leader. You know, this person who's coming for, forward, showing leadership, saying, this is how I do it. And the authenticity and the the, the truth that you share about how hard this is. <laughs> is I think so powerful for therapists and I think therapists do get in this space of if it's not perfect I shouldn't do it or who am I to come forward and do these things and so to me that's been I think the biggest inspiration I've I've gotten from you and so I just wanted to thank you for that but to also comment on I don't think that I would ever be worried that you were too prideful
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I don't know it's just it is interesting because I I don't know. I'm just, I think one is like, I'm just so, I, I I was, I I get to be in a country where I get to build a business. Like, I don't know that if I had still lived in India, not that it would have made possible, but I just think it would have been a lot harder. And so I I try to just approach that from one, a place of gratitude. And two, I think I try to really look at it from a place of service, right? Like I'm not, uh, for me, I would rather, like no amount of money, right? Like, it's gonna, I feel like just knowing myself, I don't think it's going to satisfy me, right? So mm-hmm. I think what would be satisfying is knowing that I left a, a legacy for our field, right? Like that, I did these things. And, and hopefully it helped people, you know, and build a build something that that they could be proud of as well.
0: This is so fantastic. And our guest today is Melvin Varghese. He's from all sorts of projects all over the interwebs, all over the spaces around you. And where can people find all of your projects and how to get a hold of you?
1: Yeah, of course. Um, The best place to find it is over on the blog, which is uh, sellingthecouch.com.
0: And we'll include a link to that in our show notes as well as a lot of references to all of the wonderful things that Melvin and we brought up today. Once again, our website is mtsgpodcast.com. While you're there, check out the very, very beginning stuff that we're putting up about our Therapy Reimagined 2019 conference, come out to wonderful Los Angeles in October and spend a couple of warm days out here and especially for those of you who are in the freezing parts of the country It's 70 and sunny pretty much all year around here (laughs) Come 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 and enjoy the the warmth with us come and have some fun with us at our conference and we're Actually having people submit applications now to be speakers So if you have something that you want to share with our modern therapist community, please Fill out an application. We'll be reviewing those soon Join our Facebook group, the Modern Therapist group. And until next time, I am Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Melvin Fargeese. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you
2: don't miss any of our episodes.